Welcome to Jonathan on Money, the personal finance podcast that brings you the latest insights and strategies to help you achieve your financial goals. I'm your host, Jonathan I. Shankman. On this podcast, we'll cover everything from investing, financial planning, retirement, and behavioral finance. I'll share advice and practical tips to help you make the most of your money. So whether you're just starting out or looking to take your finances to the next level, Jonathan on Money is here to help. Let's dive into this week's show. Welcome to today's episode. Before we jump into this week's episode, I just want to say thank you to my listeners. This is my 10th episode, and I read somewhere that 99% of all podcasts don't make it to the 10th episode. So thank you to my listeners for the overwhelming support, and I hope to continue producing weekly personal finance content for my audience for the foreseeable future. This week, we're going in focus, where we explore more advanced wealth planning topics. Today, we'll discuss 10 timeless investing principles and how they apply in today's market. Let's first set the stage before diving into the 10 timeless principles by discussing what has happened over the past 15 years or so. When times are good, like during the bull market of 2009 through 2021, it's tempting for many investors to throw caution to the wind. Stocks rose steadily, companies were able to easily obtain financing, and the job market was strong. However, during the good times, investors typically make questionable decisions about their personal finances. Over the past year and a half, things have been starkly different. There's been a wake-up call that the good times don't last forever. It's also a harsh reminder of the dangers of straying too far from a prudent investment plan. Regardless of the market environment, over the years, I've come to the conclusion that any judicious investment strategy incorporates 10 timeless principles cliches over the years. They also may seem overly simplistic in nature, but as Leonardo da Vinci said, and I love this quote, simplicity is the ultimate sophistication. These investment truths will not only keep investors on track to achieve their financial objectives and help them keep keep them out of trouble or by avoiding some of the biggest financial missteps, they will also still be relevant and applicable many decades in the future. I figured that now is a wonderful time to revisit these principles as many investors are searching for guidance during these challenging times. The first timeless principle in investing is that cash is king. The foundation of any prudent financial plan is to have at least three to six months worth of expense money sitting in cash. As as economists and market prognosticators debate the length of this economic slump and inflationary environment, folks with ample cash will be able to sail through these challenging times relatively unscathed. I often get quite a bit of pushback from clients when I tell them that they should have three to six months worth of cash sitting on the sidelines. This retort is typically that cash doesn't pay anything. This point is no longer true. As of this webinar, cash is paying something. Conservatively, anyone, regardless of their level of wealth and with minimal effort, can get above 4.5% in a money market account, which is essentially risk-free. So unlike the past 15 years, you can actually get an attractive yield on your cash. That being said, cash will still lose buying power with inflation over the long run, since historically, inflation tends to be higher than the yield one can get on a money market. This is a fair point. However, it's important to point out that this cash is not an investment. It doesn't matter if you're not keeping up with inflation in your emergency fund. Remember, the whole purpose of having ample cash on the sideline is so you don't need to liquidate your other investments in case you have an unexpected expense. It's fun to discuss the more exotic aspects of investing and financial planning. However, simply having enough cash available to you is the cornerstone of any sound financial strategy. 
two final points on this topic that are important. First, for retirees, if you're in the early stages of retirement or retiring within the next few years, maintaining a multi-year cash position is imperative to hedge against sequence of returns risk, which is the risk of having consecutive years of bad returns in the market. This scenario can then lead to a higher probability of outliving your money. Simply having extra cash will, will provide a hedge against this risk. And the next point, for business owners, commission-based workers, or others with a volatile income, having a larger cash cushion is also very important. I was speaking to a hedge fund manager the other day whose income could vary wildly by millions of dollars year to year, depending on his fund's performance. Individuals like this likely need more cash on hand to ride out the rough times. The second principle is that debt is bad. Many advisors know that borrowing money has both positives and negatives. In some circumstances, leverage may be quite helpful. However, generally speaking, the people who are not indebted to anybody are in the best shape financially. Even the most sophisticated investors and institutions can run into trouble if they don't carefully monitor their debt loads. As interest rates remain elevated, there will be no shortage of news stories about companies that went belly up, succumbing to their insurmountable level of indebtedness. Being debt-free is one of the most powerful financial positions to be in. This year, we have seen numerous stories of companies going bankrupt or having difficulty managing their debt load. The same is true for individual investors. Leverage is a double-edged sword. When times are good, that can fuel explosive growth and increase your wealth exponentially. However, when things are bad, it can lead to higher probability of insolvency. If you do need to take out a loan, make sure it is done sensibly and paid off quickly. Being debt-free eliminates risk from your financial life and sets you on a path to create and maintain your wealth more prudently. And I'd be remiss if I didn't point out then not all debt is equal. For example, credit card debt is the cancer of personal finance. This type of debt can very quickly grow out of control and become insurmountable. In such a situation, I advise clients to sell their investments even at a loss in order to pay down their credit card debt in full. There are other types of debt that, while still not great, are less bad. One example is a variable rate loan. The determination on whether to pay it off or not depends on many factors, including when the rate is scheduled to rise, the purpose of the loan, and the client's projected cash flow to pay down this debt. For example, for a borrower with an investment property whose mortgage payments have climbed higher, I'd recommend evaluating the property's monthly cash flows to determine if it's possible to keep the investment profitable for a few years until the market dynamics change or the market goes up in value and rates decrease. Running to pay down a loan may or may not be optimal depending on the specific situation. One final scenario about debt to consider are those individuals with so-called good debt who are temporarily having difficulty making their payments because business has slowed due to the economic environment. For example, take a homeowner who refinanced their mortgage in the past couple of years to a 15-year loan at a sub-3% interest rate. I advise this client to continue to maintain their loan at historically low interest rate and find other non-discretionary expenses to cut in order to avoid selling stock in a down market to pay off this type of loan. Again, as I keep repeating, the goal is to eliminate all debt, but it should be done in an intentional and methodical way. Principle three is that a clear understanding of your time horizon is key. Once time horizon dictates how much risk can prudently be taken within your portfolio, it also keeps rough market conditions in perspective. So if you're a long-term investor, these turbulent markets shouldn't scare you. In fact, it should excite you. It offers you the wonderful opportunity to buy stocks and a meaningful discount compared to what they were trading at just a year earlier. If you're a short-term investor who plan properly, 
you also should not be scared by the current bear market. Uh, your portfolio should have a large position in cash in preparation for withdrawing the funds. It's irresponsible to invest without having a clear understanding of when you need to use your money. So how does this apply in today's market? First off, there is no shortage of things to be worried about. There's a never-ending war in Ukraine and its ripple effect on the world economy, rising rates, inflation, a global economic slowdown. Companies are laying off their employees in droves. The implosion of the regional banking sector, a divisive U.S. Congress that seems to accomplish very little and many others. If you're a long-term investor, none of these headlines will impact you. In 10, 20, 30 years, there will be no, there will be no new headlines, and nobody will remember what is happening today because in the scheme of things, it is inconsequential to your investment. If you're a short-term investor, you should have most of these funds in money market accounts earning historically attractive yield of 4.5% or more in risk-free treasuries. Today's headlines will not impact these funds either. Remember, your investment allocation should be structured to achieve your goals. The way to do that is to understand your time horizon. If implemented correctly, you will have an appropriately designed portfolio and be able to sleep better at night. Timeless principle number four is about dollar cost averaging. Dollar cost averaging is the process of routinely adding money to investments at regular intervals. Every human is emotionally charged. However, emotional decisions have no place in the world of successful investing. The benefit of setting up automated routine contributions to your investment accounts is that it helps eliminate emotions from your process. It removes the desire to time the market and increases your ability to build wealth over the long run. This lesson is always relevant and even more relevant during a presidential election year, which we are rapidly approaching. We are still a bit more than a year away, but keep in mind that there is nothing more triggering to most Americans than politics. Even uttering the name Trump or Biden is enough to enrage some people and cause them to make rash investment decisions. Given this reality, if you automate money going into your investment account, it will allow you to more seamlessly build wealth over time. Speaking of automation, another form of automation is rebalancing. Active rebalancing is when one adjusts the weightings of a portfolio as investment values go up and down to maintain their original asset allocation based on an investor's risk tolerance. Rebalancing allows one to sell the positions that went up in value while simultaneously adding to the positions that went down. The old adage in investing is to sell high and buy low. This is a way to do just that. For example, if your original allocation was 50% stocks and 50% bonds, but the stock market skyrocketed and your portfolio is now 70% stocks and 30% bonds, rebalancing will bring your portfolio back to its initial allocation. This is done by selling 20% of your stock and adding it to the bond portion of your portfolio. It's also worth noting that systematic rebalancing is beneficial in both up and down markets. Last year, the market plummeting, stocks fell much more than bonds and rebalancing allowed investors to increase their equity position before the market rebounded this year. In a year where the market skyrockets in value, like in 2021, stocks trounced bond performance and rebalancing helped mitigate risk in 2022 when the market crashed by minimizing equity exposure. There are several ways to systematically rebalance your portfolio, including doing it on a set date every year when certain percentage thresholds are hit within your portfolio and there's others. The key is sticking to the same process consistently. Next is diversification is the only free lunch in investing. Diversification simply means not putting all your investment eggs in one basket. There is a tendency for investors to find and pile into the hot investment du jour. 
this is a great while things are going well, but all companies, sectors, industries, countries go through cycles. When things go south, having an overly concentrated position in any one area of the market can be devastating. This can be illustrated throughout history and especially today with the technology heavy NASDAQ. Well, this year, the tech sector has skyrocketed around 25%. It plummeted nearly 33% in 2022. But that's not as bad as the bursting of the dot-com bubble when the sector plummeted 80%, and it took approximately 15 years to reach those highs again. Before someone tells me that the annualized returns for tech stocks over the past decade have been great, just think about losing 80% of your money within a relatively short time frame. Nobody can stomach that level of devastation, no matter how stoic and logical you may be. Another example of the benefits of diversification is when it comes to international markets versus the U.S. market. While international markets delivered mediocre returns relative to the U.S. during the previous bull market, they outperformed in the decade of 2000-2010 when the U.S. market was flat. Again, few investors can stomach a full decade of zero returns. Diversification can help you psychologically through these types of slums. It's also worth noting that the best way to protect your portfolio from risk is not fancy hedging techniques or exotic investment strategies. Rather, it's to have a policy of always diversifying your investments across many asset classes. Diversification means always underperforming certain areas of the market and always outperforming others. Using a baseball analogy, it's similar to hitting singles and doubles and never going for the grand slam. It may be boring but it's effective and it minimizes your chances of striking out. In short, diversification is a slow, steady, and reliable way to achieve your goals over time. Now number seven, which is conservative bonds have a place in everyone's portfolio. When the market is soaring, many investors won't even look at high quality fixed income. We saw that in the bull market post the financial crisis when stocks skyrocketed and bonds pay nothing. Some clients couldn't understand why I insisted on putting a portion of their money in bonds that paid so little. Regardless of where rates are or what the stock market is doing, high-quality bonds serve as a crucial purpose in all investors' portfolios. They provide the psychological benefit of minimizing volatility during turbulent markets. They serve as a cushion that allows investors to withdraw funds when necessary from assets that didn't plummet in value relative to equities during a market correction. And lastly, there are rebalancing opportunities when stocks fall in price and the highest rate of bonds tend to appreciate. Very often, I'll have new clients tell me they just want to generate high returns and they are comfortable with high volatility and 100% high risk investments within their portfolio. Even after I describe various scenarios when the market drops significantly and use real dollar amounts to illustrate what their losses will be, they still say they're comfortable with no bonds. The reality is no one is as aggressive as they say they are. When the market crashes and they are a nervous wreck, they can't understand why they are down and why their portfolio won't bounce back in just a few weeks. I'm saying all this because it's rare to find an investor who's actually comfortable holding risk assets. Virtually all investors need high quality fixed income to serve as a ballast in their portfolio when times are tough. This next point is a good reminder that everyone should tape to the refrigerator so they can see it often throughout the day. And that is that high returns mean a high level of risk. Investors tend to search for the silver bullet of high returns and no risk. Here's a spoiler alert. The silver bullet of no risk and high returns does not exist. Anyone who claims otherwise is a charlatan, an ignoramus, or both. 
When times are good, some folks may believe they found this panacea as their investments continue to rise. However, when the economic conditions turn, they soon realize the actual risk they have taken. The nature of the risk may come in many forms, including leverage, illiquidity, duration, or poor credit. The bottom line is if you want to potentially achieve high returns, you need to be willing to take a high level of risk. We're at the stage of the economic cycle where things have become quite challenging. To quote legendary investor Warren Buffett, you only find out who's swimming naked when the tide goes out. Over the past year and a half, the tide went out fiercely when the market's plunging and trillions of dollars in shareholder value vanishing. Low rates lift all ships, but when rates go up, the weaker players become clear. Companies like Silicon Valley Bank, Signature Bank, and First Republic Bank went belly up for taking imprudent risks. These three banks were darlings of investors, but their concentration in certain market segments and imprudent management of their cash proved to be their downfall. There will undoubtedly continue to be more bankruptcies in the coming months. Individual investors who took too much risk are also hurting. When the economy was good, chasing after high-yielding companies, illiquid investments, or high-growth companies was all the rage. Just so we're all on the same page, it's worth taking a few more minutes to discuss some popular investments that are high risk in case there's any confusion or your broke brother-in-law comes to you with a hot opportunity in one of these areas. By the way, I know that even suggesting that some of these strategies are risky will be triggering to some listeners, but it does need to be pointed out. First is maintaining a concentrated stock position. No matter what company you have a large position in, if it makes up more than 5% of your net worth, you should consider trimming the position. Every company, no matter how large, is susceptible to becoming insolvent, like GM or Lehman Brothers, or they're vulnerable to going through a multi-decade time frame with no return at all, like General Electric, or they need to cut their hefty dividend that you are relying on for income, like in the case of Boeing. Having too much money of your net worth, have too much of your net worth in just one security is a recipe for disaster. Day trading. Day trading is gambling. When gambling at a casino, the deck is stacked against you. It's possible to win. However, the house holds an edge over the players, so the longer you play, the greater the odds that you will walk away a loser. Similarly, it's possible to get lucky day trading by buying a stock right before it skyrockets in price and then selling just before it falls. However, any long-term strategy that is trying to time when to go in and out of stocks will not be successful since short-term market moves are impossible to predict. Day trading and gambling at the casino are forms of entertainment. Successful investing is not supposed to be entertaining. Using options, an option is a contract that gives an investor the right to buy or sell a financial product at an agreed upon price for a specific period of time. Options are available on numerous financial products, including stocks and ETFs. They're complicated and unnecessary to achieve your financial goals. Furthermore, few people can execute an option strategy successfully. You are not one of those people. Initial public offerings or IPOs. An IPO is the process of offering shares of a private corporation to the public through new stock issuance. There's a lot of excitement when a popular company comes to market. There's even more enthusiasm among those who can buy the stock before the general public. Unfortunately, all the exuberance creates a tendency to make a bad decision, such as purchasing a company without doing your own proper due diligence or short-term trading to try to lock in an immediate profit. These behaviors won't contribute to achieving long-term success. If you are able to participate in IPO, it's prudent to know what you own, why you own it, what purpose it serves within your overall portfolio, and if it is a sensible fit, to hold the company for the long term. 
Next is cryptocurrency. Cryptocurrency is not a business. It has no cash flow. It's not transparent. It's illiquid. And its price is driven by pure speculation. Is it real or just an apparition? I'm not even sure how to classify it, but I can say that it is the definition of unbridled speculation and not a place to invest your family's nest egg. Private equity PE funds typically invest in companies that are not publicly traded. Some common examples are venture capital and leveraged buyout funds. Most PE firms are exclusively open to high net worth investors. While there is the potential for high returns, investors need to be comfortable parting with their money for an extended period of time, sometimes between five to 10 years while the strategy is implemented. In addition to the lack of liquidity and layers of fees, there's also the very real possibility that the investments won't work out or will substantially lag the public markets. Hedge funds, hedge funds are actively managed pools of capital whose managers use a wide range of aggressive strategies to try to deliver outsized returns. This may include using borrowed money to make investments and trading more esoteric assets. There are thousands of hedge funds and each one should be evaluated based on their own merits. However, in recent years, hedge funds have been broadly criticized for their high fees and lackluster returns relative to the overall market. Hard money loans. A hard money loan is money lent by an individual or a company instead of a bank. They're known as the loan of last resort. Often it's just a short-term way for individuals who are denied traditional financing to raise money quickly. These loans are much riskier than loans through traditional channels. And as a result, their yields are often much higher. Hard money loans generally rely on collateral rather than financial position of the applicant. Consequently, a default by the borrower may still result in a profitable transaction for the lender through collateral collection. Alternatively, it can lead to the borrower, borrower defaulting on the loan and the lender owning an asset they do not wish to own that may drop significantly in price. Real estate syndication. Real estate is a wonderful asset class with which many investors are familiar. One way to get exposure to this area of the market is through real estate syndication, where investors pool funds to purchase income-producing properties. The success of these types of deals depends on the location of the property, type of property, management of a project, where we are in the economic cycle, and experience of the deal manager. It's important for investors to do their own due diligence for all those factors to increase their likelihood of success. This is also a friendly reminder that despite all the investors' due diligence, real estate investments frequently don't achieve their intended performance targets and may not outpace the U.S. stock market either. I can't tell you how often I meet with people that think that real estate only goes up in value. Be mindful of the fact that people lose their shirt in real estate investments all the time. They just don't talk about it. As an example, a few weeks ago, a client met with me and all four of his real estate investments that he was raving to me about for years earlier were in the tubes. One hadn't paid a distribution of any months. One was running two years behind schedule. Another lowered their payout substantially and one he wrote off since he hasn't heard from the manager in years. Just to close out this topic, everything I just mentioned on risk versus reward is especially important to folks acting in a fiduciary capacity to their clients. This includes financial advisors, trustees, consultants, tax advisors, and the like. If you wanna take big risks, that's fine, but it must be sized appropriately within the client's portfolio. A good rule of thumb, is no high-risk investment should make up more than 5% of yours or your client's nest egg. If it does, you will likely regret the decision and may also be in violation of your fiduciary obligation to your clients. In line with the points I just mentioned, another good rule of thumb is boring over exciting is usually the right approach. 
Investors often confuse an exciting idea with a good investment opportunity. Excitement may be generated from the latest ad and exclusive deal or a strategy that promises to trounce the performance of the S&P 500. These opportunities are more often than not being sold on hype instead of fundamentals. To avoid being lured into one of these situations, pursue an approach of sticking with plain, vanilla, boring investments. An investor may miss the next hot IPO, but they also won't get suckered into the next Ponzi scheme. This trade-off seems worth it to me. The concept of pursuing boring over exciting is much easier said than done. After all, hedge funds, private equity, startups, crypto, NFTs, are all more exciting to share with one's friends on the golf course than broad market index funds. The difference is an index fund won't disappear or go, up, go out of favor in a few years. The surest way to financial success is to buy boring investments, hold them for a long period of time and let compounding work its magic and ignore all the noise. And finally, once you win the game, stop playing. Investing can be addicting. It's important to understand that the main purpose of investing is for you to be able to achieve your financial goals. Once an investor reaches that magic number, there's no reason to continue to put that money at risk. At this point, the money's accumulated to fund an investor's goals should be moved out of risky investments. Unnecessarily subjecting money to risk means potentially losing the game and derailing your finances. The question is how much one, how does one know what they have enough money to achieve all their goals in life? The first thing to do is to define your goals which it should be done through an investment policy statement or an IPS. And an IPS should be established prior to investing. It should address a few things, such as do you have goals beyond just earning a return and not outliving your funds? Uh, perhaps you want to leave a legacy to your kids or charity. Maybe you want to travel the world several times for retirement. Or perhaps you just want to downsize live, and live in an apartment in Florida. Are there family members or children that need your financial support even after you're gone? The various goals an investor can have are infinite. After clearly defining them, which most people don't do, you should assess to whether you have enough money to achieve these objectives or if you need to maintain some level of risk within your portfolio to help you reach them. This process may require the expertise of a financial advisor or other trusted professionals. Furthermore, if you have a variety of income sources in addition to your investment portfolio, such as social security, pension, passive income, et cetera, then coordinating these income streams to determine exactly how much risk you need to take is imperative. The day you no longer have to worry about gyrations of the market and can live the life you want should be the ultimate goal of every investor. The silver lining of a challenging market and economic environment like we're currently experiencing is that it causes investors to reflect. As you introspect on your own personal finances, be sure to evaluate whether these timeless principles are adhered to within your portfolio. If you do stay true to these principles, it should increase your chances of financial success. And keep in mind, if your strategy does not currently reflect the concepts I went over in this talk, then you should consider making the adjustments necessary. And there's no better time to do that than today. This concludes today's episode. Again, thank you to my listeners for helping re me reach this important milestone of 10 episodes of my podcast. I think there's another lesson here, which is the importance of consistency. I don't think consistency is talked about enough, but in most areas of life, it sets folks, folks apart and is the key ingredient that leads them to success. This is true about diet, working out, relationships, your job, and especially investing. I probably should have included consistency as one of my 10 timeless principles, but 10 is a bit better for marketing purposes rather than 11 timeless principles. Consistently saving, investing, rebalancing, 
over an extended period of time, regardless of what happens in the market, is the key ingredient to financial success. And with that, it's a wrap for this week's show. Any comments or questions, feel free to reach out directly to me via email. I love hearing from my listeners. And finally, as I end every episode, the secret to financial success is no secret at all. It's to spend less than you make, invest the difference prudently, and ignore all the noise. See you next time on Shankman on Money. Thank you for joining me on today's episode. I hope you were able to take away a nugget or two to apply to your own life. Make sure to subscribe to this podcast so you can be alerted whenever new episodes drop. If you'd like to submit a question that may be answered in a future show, please email me at jonathan at parkbridgewealth.com. Be sure to check out all Jonathan on Money content, including all my articles, webinars, and videos by following me at Jonathan on Money on Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. Finally, if you like what you heard today, please rate the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This helps ensure that other personal finance enthusiasts can find the show as well. Thank you and catch you on the next episode of Jonathan on Money.